Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com. This is Antiwar News for Wednesday, September 13th, 2023. All right, the first story at the top of Antiwar.com today. Senator Elizabeth Warren calls for a probe into Elon Musk for stopping an attack on Russia. So Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts has called for an investigation into SpaceX CEO Elon Musk after it was revealed that he declined to activate his satellite internet service Starlink for a Ukrainian attack on the Russian Black Sea fleet in Crimea. So this incident took place in September 2022, and it was revealed by excerpts from a new biography of Musk. And according to to Musk, Ukraine made an emergency request to activate Starlink near Sevastopol, Crimea, and the clear implication was that it was for an attack on Russian warships. He denied the request over fears of escalating the war. He said he did not want SpaceX to be involved in a big Uh, attack like this. So Elizabeth Warren said on Monday, quote, Congress needs to investigate what's happened here and whether we have adequate tools to make sure foreign policy is conducted by the government and not by one billionaire, end quote. So it's really something, uh, you know, out of all the things to investigate when it comes to this war in Ukraine, not, you know, how involved is the U.S. in Russian, in Ukrainian attacks inside Russia, not, you know, about the use of cluster bombs, depleted uranium, you know, Ukrainians killing civilians or anything like that. No, let's investigate how Elon Musk might have prevented, you know, a huge escalation of the war early on. And Ukrainian officials have been very critical of Musk for disrupting this planned attack. Musk said that Starlink was never meant to be used for war. At the same time, you know, it's not like he's some innocent victim in this. When the war started, his company began shipping thousands of terminals to Ukraine. You know, that was right after Russia invaded in February 2022. So at the time of this incident in September 2022, SpaceX was provided uh, was providing the Starlink service to Ukraine on its own. I think at the time, USAID might have facilitated some shipments as well. But when it comes to, you know, providing the service, it was all SpaceX. Uh, it was not under contract with the U.S. military. But since then, the Pentagon began footing the bill for Ukraine's Starlink service and entered a contract with SpaceX. Uh, but we don't know the details of that contract. So it's possible that now that the Pentagon is running things, you know, Ukraine doesn't have to worry about not getting uh, Starlink where they want it. But again, we don't really know the details. Um, what was interesting, though, Air Force Secretary Frank Kendall said on Monday that the September 2022 incident raised concerns within the Pentagon about the need to be more specific when it comes to contracting services from companies like SpaceX. He said, quote, if we're going to reply to rely upon commercial architectures or commercial systems for operational use, then we have to have some assurances that they're going to be available, end quote. Um, all right. So the next story here, Sweden considers arming Ukraine with Gripen fighter jets. 
So Swedish Public Radio reported Tuesday that Sweden is considering arming Ukraine with Gripen, or I've heard it pronounced Gripen as well, which I think is more like the Swedish pronunciation. So they're considering sending these Gripen fighter jets, which are made by the Swedish firm Saab. So Sweden has previously ruled out sending Gripens to Ukraine over concerns that its military could not spare them. According to the radio report, before handing the jets over, the Swedish government wants to know how giving the Gripens to Ukraine would affect Sweden's defense capabilities and how long it would take to replace them. Ukraine wants Sweden to provide one division of Gripens, uh, which consists of between 16 and 18 jets. Any plan to provide Ukraine with these planes would involve training Ukrainian pilots meaning the jets would not see combat in Ukraine until at least late in 2024. Ukraine has long sought Gripens and other Western-made fighter jets. So far, Kiev has been promised the F-16s, and Ukrainian pilots are currently being trained on the U.S.-made planes, but that will not be completed until next year. U.S. officials have stressed that F-16s will only benefit Ukraine in the long term. I'll get more into that in the next story. Um, so some differences between the Gripens and the F-16s is that they are cheaper to fly and operate and, and simpler to maintain. They're uh, newer. They were developed in the late 80s, and I believe they first began flying in the 90s. And um, But another difference is that the F-16, I thought this was interesting. The F-16 is battle-tested. It's been used in combat quite a bit. Um, and the Gripens have not, they've never seen combat. And that shows how Sweden has been neutral, you know, for all these years. They've maintained this policy of neutrality, which has kept them out of wars. But that's all changed since Sweden applied to join NATO uh, last year. So now it looks like their planes might see some action. All right. So the next one here, uh, U.S. stresses that F-16s will aid Ukraine in the long term. So this article is from Kyle Anzalone at the Libertarian Institute. Several U.S. officials have explained that advanced American warplanes are unlikely to impact the war in Ukraine until years in the future. However, Ukraine is hoping to deploy the weapons this winter, which seems pretty unlikely. So Air Force Vice Chief of Staff General David Alvin told Congress, quote, As with our Air Force, we're only effective if we're part of a joint force. The value of the F-16s will be in the longer term when it's better integrated with a larger Ukrainian military, end quote. So I think he's saying, you know, they need more, uh, you know, different types of planes and jets to integrate the F-16s with for them to really be effective. Um, So last month, General James Hecker explained that Ukraine's inexperienced pilots will have to go through several phases of training. He's kind of saying that it's going to take a few years for them to really be proficient with these F-16s. It's not just going to take, you know, one round of training or anything like that. Um, And we've also seen U.S. officials tell, you know, speaking to the New York Times and speaking to other media outlets saying that they don't think if Ukraine had the F-16s right now, that they would make much of a difference because Russia has such extensive air defenses. And that's one thing the Ukrainians have been complaining about. When the U.S. is pressing them to go harder in their counteroffensive is that the U.S. and NATO would never try, you know, an offensive like the one Ukraine has launched without air superiority. And Ukraine doesn't have anything close to that. 
So they're asking them to fight a battle that the U.S. and NATO wouldn't fight. Um, All right, I want to mention our sponsor for today's show, and that is the Expat Money Summit, which is coming up. So if you go to expatmoneysummit.com, you can reserve your free ticket. All you have to do is put in your email. And this is an event hosted by Mikkel Thorup of Expat Money, and their work is focused on helping people who are looking to move outside of the country or are looking for a backup plan, uh, you know, a residency in another country or ways, uh, you know, to protect their money, things like that. And it's being held from October 2nd to October 6th. It's a huge online event. It's really the only event of its kind. It's a very unique service that Mikkel offers at Expat Money. And the conference uh, is going to be very interesting. Lots of big speakers, including Peter Schiff, Mark Faber, Dr. Ron Paul, Doug Casey, Jim Rogers, Tom Woods, and many, many more. And the types of things that you will learn is about residencies and citizenship, which is a big one, you know, when we're talking about moving out of the country, wealth protection and tax planning, so you could avoid having your taxes fund war as much as possible, which is very appealing to me. Uh, investing in diversification, the expat lifestyle, which is another big one, and community networking, you know, meeting people and all that. So again, go to expatmoneysummit.com. It's coming up in October and put your email in to get your free ticket. Mikkel is a listener of this show. He's a supporter of antiwar.com. Uh, so again, expatmoneysummit.com. There's also a link in the YouTube description or the podcast show notes. Um, All right, so to get back into the news here, the next one, Putin accuses the UK of a plot against a Russian nuclear plant. So this is a concerning story. Russian President Vladimir Putin on Tuesday alleged that the UK was behind a foiled plot against a Russian nuclear power plant. The Russian leader claimed that a group of saboteurs was captured by Russia's Federal Security Service, that's the FSB. Putin said, quote, during the questioning, they testified that they were trained under supervision of British instructors, end quote. So Putin did not offer any evidence for the accusation and did not name what nuclear power plant the saboteurs planned to target, but he insisted that he was telling the truth. He said, quote, the leadership of British intelligence agencies know that I am telling the truth, end quote. So the Russian leader questioned if Britain's leadership was aware of the activities of their intelligence agencies or was aware of, you know, kind of the seriousness of something like this. Putin said, quote, do they even understand what they are playing with? Do they provoke us to some response actions against Ukrainian facilities, power plants, end quote? So Putin's accusation comes after Ukraine has significantly stepped up its drone attacks inside Russian territory. Um, so, you know, this is just a claim being made by Putin here, but it's still concerning, uh, you know, that if he believes the British were really behind an attempt on a Russian nuclear power plant, I mean, it has all sorts of implications. And you know, it's not out of the question because the, the UK is very involved in this. And, you know, the gray zone, uh, Kit Clarenberg over there has reported on, showed leaks of US, of British, sorry, British intelligence discussing ways uh, for Ukraine to attack the Crimean Bridge and, you know, things like that. So they are helping plan, you know, certain sabotage activities. So it's not out of the question that they're doing it inside Russia as well. So Moscow has made clear that it believes the U.S. and its allies are involved in uh, attacks inside Russia, specifically the drone attacks. 
And The Economist recently reported that the operations do often use intelligence gathered by Kiev's Western backers. So Western involvement in attacks inside Russia, whether real or perceived, risk a major escalation as Moscow could retaliate by targeting NATO. I think Russia has all the pretext that it needs if it wanted to, you know, take that step. Um, Lucky for us, Russia is, you know, does not seem interested in a direct war with NATO. And that's good because that would mean, you know, World War Three and likely which would likely very quickly turn into nuclear war. And the U.S. has shown very little concern from this risk. The U.S. and and Britain and other NATO countries, they just don't seem to care about escalation anymore. Even the countries that were were more concerned in the beginning, like France and Germany, just seems to have all gone out the window. Um, And we know that, you know, the best example of that this week was on Sunday. Blinken said that targeting decisions are up to Ukraine when he was asked if the U.S. was okay with Ukraine using U.S.-provided missiles to hit targets inside Russia. Um, All right, so the next one here, Putin says that Trump will not change U.S. foreign policy. So this is another one from Kyle at the Libertarian Institute. I thought this was interesting. So Russian President Vladimir Putin does not believe former President Donald Trump could end the war in Ukraine if he was reelected. Trump has slammed President Biden for allowing the war in Ukraine to spiral out of control, and he has promised to end the conflict within days of taking office. So Putin said this at the Eastern Economic Forum. He, he said a lot of things uh, at this forum on Tuesday. He said, quote, I think there will be no fundamental changes regarding Russia and U.S. foreign policy, no matter who is elected president. Mr. Trump says he will solve acute problems, including the Ukrainian crisis in a few days. This can only please. Nevertheless, he too imposed sanctions on Russia during his presidency, end quote. So mentioning that uh, Trump did take a pretty hard line against Russia, despite, you know, the whole Russiagate narrative. And I'm sure that that had something to do with it, you know, to show that he was tough on Russia. He uh, increased sanctions on Russia. He was also the first president to arm Ukraine with uh, Javelin anti-tank missiles, what they call lethal aid. He was the first one to sign that off. He signed off on that delivery in December 2017, and they were first delivered in sometime in 2018. And that was before the whole impeachment thing where he was impeached for holding up an arms delivery to Ukraine for like a week or two. You know, it still went through. Um, but anyway, it's just interesting. And, you know, you kind of see the New York Times. I, I saw grabbed onto Putin's comments about, you know, American electoral politics acting like it's Russian, you know, election interference, um, which is just completely ridiculous. Um, But Putin observed that, uh, what did he also say? He mentioned something about the indictments against Trump saying, you know, it's clearly political, uh, a political thing. Uh, Oh, so this is the quote about those indictments. Putin said, quote, as for the prosecution of Trump for us, what is happening in today's conditions, in my opinion, is good because it shows the rottenness of the American political system, which cannot pretend to teach others democracy. Everything that is happening with Trump is the persecution of a political rival for political reasons. That's what it is. And this is what is being done in front of the public of the United States and the whole world, end quote. Um, so just interesting to see what Putin had to say about that. 
Um, and I think he makes a good point about Trump, unfortunately, when it comes to uh, foreign policy. It's just hard to believe that he'll really change things. But at the same time, it's also good to see him running on ending the Ukraine war. At least it does show how the political tide is turning when it comes to continuing to support this proxy war. All right. So the next one here, Air Force Secretary says that the U.S. must do more to prepare for war with China. So this is Air Force Secretary Frank Kendall. He warned on Monday that the U.S. military might not be prepared for a future war with China since it has spent so much time focused on counterterrorism. So Kendall said, quote, the threat of attack from violent extremist organizations still exists and we will address those threats as they occur. But China is by far our pacing challenge, end quote. Uh, he added, quote, our job is to deter that war and to be ready to win if it occurs. We're all talking about the fact that the air and space forces must change or we could fail to prevent and might even lose a war, end quote. So he seems saying that they're trying to deter the war and their plan to deter the war is this huge military buildup in the Asia Pacific and all this new support for Taiwan, which in reality is making a war more likely. Um, so Kendall's comments are the latest example of a U.S. official discussing openly that the U.S. is preparing for a future direct war with China despite the risk of nuclear escalation. That's the big difference between the proxy war in Ukraine and what the U.S. is planning with China is that they want to fight, they want to take China on, you know, directly, despite the risk of nuclear escalation. So last year, President Biden pledged that he would send troops to defend Taiwan if China attacked the island. That's the president saying it. It's a very provocative statement that he made. And unlike, you know, he said it three times before, it was actually the fourth time he said it. And we know it's Biden. So, you know, he says a lot of things. He has a lot of gaffes, but this was clear. He was asked explicitly if he would send troops and the White House did not walk back his comments. They only said it's not an official change in policy, which means the U.S. doesn't have, you know, a legal commitment to intervene. So Kendall warned that China has been preparing for a fight against the U.S. in its own backyard. He said, quote, China has been re-optimizing its forces for great power competition and to prevail against the U.S. in the Western Pacific for over 20 years. China has been building a military capability specifically designed to achieve their national goals and to do so if opposed by the United States, end quote. And those national goals that he's talking about is, you know, what China calls reunification with Taiwan. And uh, that's something China always says they want to do peacefully, but they don't rule out the use of force. And they certainly have been preparing for a war over Taiwan, a future war over Taiwan, which is very far from the United States. So I think China would uh, have a pretty good advantage there. Um, so Kendall is kind of interesting. He took his post as Air Force Secretary in 2021, and he's been focused on China after he was sworn in uh, a couple years ago, he said that he wants the U.S. to develop new technologies to scare China. And he said that he has three priorities, China, China, and China. So it's all about China. Um, all right, so the next one here, the U.S. takes step to clinch prisoner swap deal with Iran. So the U.S. has taken another step toward completing a prisoner swap deal with Iran that will involve Tehran gaining access to $6 billion of its own frozen funds. So last week, Secretary of State Antony Blinken signed a sanctions waiver allowing the transfer of $6 billion 
in frozen Iranian funds from South Korea to Qatar. In a notification to Congress sent on Monday, Blinken said the funds would be placed in restricted accounts and that Tehran would have access only for humanitarian trade. Blinken also said the U.S. plans to release five unnamed Iranians who have been detained in the U.S. over allegations of sanctions violations. In return, Iran will release five Americans who were recently put on house arrest in a hotel to prepare for the swap, so sources told AP that they expect the prisoner swap to happen as early as next week. And the news that the U.S. and Iran had agreed on a prisoner exchange was first reported by the New York Times at the beginning of August, so we've been expecting this. So Iran hawks in Congress, of course, are furious with the Biden administration over the deal, and they are portraying the transfer as a $6 billion ransom, even though it is Iran's own money. And, you know, we always see this, especially with the Iran nuclear deal that was signed in 2015. That was Iran's money that they were uh, given, you know, it's their own money. Um, And the prisoner swap, I think, is a good sign. It signals that there might be more room for diplomacy with the U.S. and Iran, because things were looking pretty hairy there for a minute with the U.S. sending all these military assets to the Persian Gulf. Um, so Senator Ted Cruz, who of course is not happy with this deal, he, he's claiming that the Biden administration is working on a secret nuclear deal with Iran that's being kept from Congress. And the reason why it's being kept from Congress, if, if this is true is because, you know, virtually every Republican is going to oppose it, except maybe Rand Paul and every, uh, enough Democrats now are against any kind of diplomacy with Iran that, you know. They're just not going to want it to happen. Okay, so the next, the last one here, uh, the U.S. and Bahrain to sign a security agreement. So this article is from Connor Freeman at the Libertarian Institute. The U.S. and Bahrain will ink a deal to upgrade the two nations' strategic partnership this week. This is from a, a report from Axios. One source briefed on the issue said that the White House hopes to use this deal as a framework for other regional agreements. And the Biden administration is currently pushing for the Saudis to normalize with Israel. Uh, Bahrain normalized relations with Israel uh, as part of the Abraham Accords that were signed under the Trump administration. And this is part of their reward for that. So the U.S. and Bahrain already have a pretty strong partnership. The U.S. Navy's fifth fleet is based in the country. um, And that's, you know, the U.S. Navy's Middle East fleet. So since 2002, the Gulf Kingdom has been a major non-NATO ally of the United States, though this does not include a security commitment. But apparently this new deal will include some kind of new security commitment, which is not clear. It doesn't go as far as a NATO Article 5 commitment. Uh, Sources told Axios that it includes a commitment to consult and provide assistance if Bahrain faces an imminent security threat. Um. So it looks like this is going to be signed soon as Bahrain's crown prince is headed to the U.S., headed to Washington this week. Um, But that is it for the news for today. Go check out our viewpoints. One from Matt Taibbi, A Day That Never Ended. One from Ted Snyder, Why We Don't Negotiate. One from Caitlin Johnstone, Blinken Does Not Oppose Ukraine Attacks Inside Russia with U.S. Supplied Missiles. One from Vez Engler, depleted uranium added to toxic mess in Ukraine. And the spotlight is from Michael D. Swain. Actually, China's military is not going global. Um, So that is everything.
You could always help us out just by sharing this show around, telling your friends about antiwar.com, subscribing on YouTube, or if you prefer to watch elsewhere, we're also on Rumble and Odyssey. If you listen to the podcast, you could always leave a review. And again, just sharing really helps. Follow me on Twitter at DeCampDave, follow antiwar.com. That's it for me for today. I will be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening.